0: Hey there, my name is Aaron Deal, and I'm a half-Southern, half-Midwestern mama, some call this voice a nasal twang, who took $5,000 to build and scale a one-of-a-kind experiential organization that improves the lives of corporate professionals through personal development, humanity, and humor. Along the way, I've built client relationships with some of the most notable companies in the country, all while attracting a rock star team of experts and hilarious facilitators. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, what I didn't tell you is that my resume also includes a long list of comedy shows I bombed, improv teams I didn't make, companies who told me no, and many a heartache when it came to becoming a mother. I want to show you the real deal of the grit, creativity, and determination it takes to overcome your disappointments, embrace the suck, and design the career you could only dream about. I believe we all have our own unique gifts that we bring to the world and it is our mistakes that help to unwrap them. Welcome to Failed It. Hey, Failed It fam. I am gonna start today's show with our Failed It fam member of the week. This one is from, this is a lot of letters, H-E-H-D-X-B, seven shDhD so I if this is you and you left a review fielded fan member I'm not even going to repeat that because that's a lot of letters and a lot of a lot of numbers here but I appreciate you leaving this this person says get your earbuds and listen great advice on how to become a better leader and a better human being how to face challenges of life and celebrate our uniqueness inspiring noteworthy fantastic. Thank you, friend, so much for leaving this review. You are an awesome Field at Fan member. And for leaving this review, I am going to gift you our newest offering. It's a mini course on Zoom fatigue. This is coming out the week of March 29th. So stay tuned for that. But send me an email at info at I'm going to hook you up. There is a Zoom B improv toolkit involved in there for you to help your eyeballs and your mind get over the Zoom fatigue. All my friends at the Failed It family, if you could leave us a review, it really does mean so much, and it brings more people to the Failed It fam. We're sending out gifts every week and reading one of those, uh, or one of these, I should say, on the show. So thank you again, friend, for this review. Let's get to failing it. Hey, Failed It fam, welcome to the show. I am so excited for today's guest, and I know I say that, but I really mean this. This is our first time meeting But I feel like this is going to be epic. So welcome to the show, Aubrey Blanche. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, my God.
0: I I found you on LinkedIn. We're going to talk all about this. But I want to quickly introduce you to the Failed It fam before we get into failing it. So let me read your bio real quick, your highlight reel, so to speak. So Aubrey Blanche is the math path, which is a math nerd plus empath. Love this title. Director of Equitable Design and Impact at Culture Amp and a startup, invest, a startup investor and advisor. She questions, reimagines, and redesigns the systems that surround us to ensure that all people access equitable opportunities. Her expertise covers talent programs and accessible product development to event design and communications. She's the inventor of the balanced teams approach and a culture of belonging and the balanced teams diversity assessment in the Atlantic Atlantician team playbook. I lost- Alassie, thank you. She open sources these methods and releases thought leadership and tools to create positive change. And you can find this at her website at aubreyblanche.com. Welcome again, Aubrey. I'm so thrilled. You are such an interesting human to me and the world needs more of you. So I'm so thrilled to talk about you today. So welcome again to the show. Well, thank you so much. I promise I'll try to be interesting. I feel like you nailed it in the bio. So we're already there. Uh, Question though, let me ask this. And I love to start with this. What is something that we wouldn't know about you from your bio, from your resume, or from your LinkedIn profile?
1: Oh, um, I'm a classically trained mezzo-soprano. What? That's just like a thing that like, it's useful like at you know corporate karaoke or whatever. You were like, wait, no, 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 but I can sing for real. Um, but Stop. it's not very useful day to day. I have to say, it's mostly just me dancing around my house to the Moana soundtrack. Like,
0: that's really where it gets a workout. Can we get like a? I've been standing at the edge of the no, no, maybe a little bit like a. Can we? D- can we hear like staring at the edge of the water, long as I can remember,
1: never really knowing why. Okay, dead. There we go. I
0: just All right. I died. This is my ghost. I've never done that on a podcast before. Here we go. (laughs) I've never had anybody sing on the show before. And that was awesome. Beautiful voice. Ah, I'm dead. I'm dead. My mother, as a child, she's, hey, Janice. She listens to the show. Um, She taught piano and voice out of my house growing up. And so she's also a soprano, but I have not heard her sing that song that eloquently ever. And I really loved it. The way that that sounded, so I feel like I feel like you need to do more of that. I hope there's more of that in your future, not just dancing around your house. I hope when this is all over, you're on stage doing that somewhere because you are classically trained.
1: That's true. I am. I haven't been on stage in a while. Now I just like to do it mostly. It's it's like weddings and funerals. I sing the Ave Maria. That's really uh. how my family gets to do it right now. <laughs>
0: Hey, you're there. You're at the uh, beginning of one chapter, the end of another. You know, so that's that's important. And let me ask this. So I found you online through LinkedIn, which is one of my favorite platforms, and we have quite a few connections in common. So when I started researching you, your background, and this phrase, the math path, I kept digging and digging, and I want to start there. I know, but I want you to coin or tell the Failed at family how you coined the term math path for yourself.
1: Yeah. So I have to give credit. I worked with a a brand firm to help uh, sort of come up with that and bring it together. But really, when when they said, you know, who are you? You're the math path. I was like, is this like Ziggy Stardust? Like, is this my Ziggy Stardust? And that's kind of how I think about it, which is that the math path is really, it's both me, but it's also a persona I put on But it has to do with how I do the work. So I really believe that the way that you create transformational change is by grounding your work in deep social science, right? In, in research and rigorous methods. But when you go too far into that end, you become so cognitive that you're not actually thinking about and feeling for the people that you're impacting. And so in order to do my work, I do need, you know, I talk about game theory and statistics and things like that, but also it's just about the fundamental dignity of every human person and non-human things too, but this fundamental dignity of, of life and empathizing and connecting with other people's experience. And so Math path just felt like both it's fun to say, but also it really describes the way that I do my work and the way that I try to move through the world.
0: That is beautiful beautiful and i i really do think if you check out her website which we will obviously link to in the show notes here you can see that you really embody this this title the math path and i think it shows through the work that you do the way that you showcase it with data and the way that you're using empathy equity inclusion all of the things to really define work and to define what it means to be leaders as well as great human beings so Thanks for, for doing you, girl, because that's important. You. It's important. So, I want to talk to you. You mentioned a lot of your work is using empathy and really getting to the heart of creating balanced teams through your diversity assessment. And you really dive into this notion of diversity and inclusion. Can you tell us, was there a defining moment? in your life where you decided that diversity, inclusion, equity was your life's work?
1: Um, I don't know if there was a single moment. I think there was a moment that I got set on the path, which was the moment that I, I dropped out of Stanford for hitting all of the standard sort of sexism and probably racism barriers. Although I'm white passing, and so I experience racialization very different than someone who isn't mixed or who isn't white passing. So, I want to hold that out there as really important. But really, I think it was the moment that uh, a director at my first tech job allowed me to run some experiments because I said, I don't think you're, I think you're rejecting women at a higher rate than you mean to. And he said, What? And I was like, Let me tell you all about this unconscious bias thing that at that time was not, um, it was not something that everybody was talking about. And, but it was something I just knew from, I don't know, hanging out with psychology PhDs. Um, and, and so I ran a study that showed where the inefficiencies in, in that recruiting process were. And then I kind of said, Hey, I want to do this as a job. Could I? So I got into DEI as a field without knowing, or even having proper, I was a little naive. I didn't realize that it was a career. I didn't realize that it had a history. And that was something I picked up really as I started to network. And I started to realize that DEI work is an extension of right? That there are people who have been doing it even in the tech industry for decades, but also that this is, you know, it comes from the legacy of the civil rights movement of people who have always fought for justice. And so I think the, as I realized that this was the work I wanted to do, because frankly, I'm privileged in so many ways. And so I can't think of something better to do with my time than to try to open up and create space for other people. Right. So mm-hmm. I've been given a lot of opportunities and like, what it, like it's like cookies. It's more fun if you share. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to eat a cookie alone. It just right. Like the cookie tastes better when like we can both have some because then we both get to enjoy the cookie and we get to like co relate. I'm like, wow, this cookie is bomb. So I don't know, like, that sounds really simplistic. And there's definitely a lot more complications to it that I can talk to you about how being white passing or being well, I'm not very straight passing anymore. My head screams gay, I think. But um, but I feel a responsibility to my community as someone who has a lot of privilege to try to advocate for my community and other communities that I'm not from, but are the marginalized. And so it's a deep pleasure. And I do my work with deep gratitude, because I have the opportunity to spend my life making the world better for people who deserve it. Like, Mm. What else could you ask
0: for? That is so beautiful. And that's, I found your work to be so intriguing because you use data, you use science, you use exactly what you just said. Let me do this recruiting study. Let me show you how I found this data point in the way that you were recruiting. And there was some, you're treating women differently. And the cookie metaphor is simple, but it's beautiful it's beautiful. No one wants to eat a cookie alone. It's better shared. I'm going to take that with me. And I will also say, like, let's bring milk in. Let's bring milk. Let's bring let's right. bring a lot of different things to the table. And let's all share that table together.
1: Or maybe you find out in fact that your friend doesn't want half of your cookie because they want a cupcake, right? And yeah. that's also cool. Yeah. You're like, now we're not giving cookies together, but we
0: are together eating things. And so that's yes. definitely an
1: improvement on the situation.
0: Oh my God, I love it. So I love what you do. Part of the reason Improve It, the company that I run exists is because improv is such a dynamic teaching tool to bring people together. And being a mezzo-soprano, okay, I don't know if you've dabbled at improv, but I want to ask, but it really is this cohesive unit of an ensemble. You walk in individuals, you walk out a cohesive space, and it really transforms people through the power of play, and it makes people feel like they belong, right? So first of all, have you ever done improv? I've done a little bit of improv. So I was a
1: bit of a musical theater kid um, in grade school and high school. So I've done a little bit of improv, but I have to say being ahead of diversity in 2020, was basically one long, tragic improv of people looking (laughs) to you and saying, how do you deal with this? And going, well, that's never come up before we've, I mean, to say we've never had a president who's a white supremacist before is false. Most of them were, but my
0: God, right.
1: But, but the level of trauma that we had to like, Basically improv, not improv, there's grounded practice in this. But for the corporate world, I think the corporate world felt like they were improving all last year across this All Lives Matter and trying to do the right thing, but not necessarily grounded in, in what that right thing was or how to actualize it.
0: That is 100% true. And I think every single person is their own version of a 2020 story, whether it was the death of George Floyd, whether it was, you know, the continued deaths of Black Americans. I, I really do think we've had a lot of awesome guests on this show, and we will continue to do so, yourself included, who are advocates for social change. And I think that it's so important from a leadership perspective to really take a pulse right now on where you're at and see people like Aubrey who are doing the work. But not necessarily, I want to ask this question to you. Do you ever feel, especially through 2020, and I'm just going to say this for lack of a better word, are you ever tired of helping? Do you ever feel as if people need to do some of their own work? Yeah. So I would say, I, I think those, uh, that's, you've asked me sort of
1: two questions. Like, am I ever tired? I'm tired all the time. You know, how sure. Bruce Banner is like, how do you just know how to get angry? And he's like, well, the thing is I'm angry all the time. <laughs> right. And I feel that like part of, part of doing this work is learning to hold both your own exhaustion and your own righteous anger and direct it in ways that are meaningful. So yeah. Do I get tired? I'm tired as hell. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, bicultural, biracial, bisexual, bipolar person in twenty twenty one. So I am certainly tired, but I also hold. I don't think it's possible for me to get tired of supporting my community, and the reason for that is because I know the world I want to live in. Like I can imagine mm-hmm. it, right? I'm a futurist mm-hmm. in that way, and and the way that I get there is by supporting my community. And what I think of my job as doing. Is really just opening up spaces for people's brilliance to manifest. I'm not responsible for the brilliance that they bring forth. That's all them and that's their power. But the more people that do that, the closer we are to the world I want to live in, which is mm-hmm. one people are seen and valued for who they are and what they are, and we believe and we actualize and we protect the dignity and the well-being of every person. Like that's what I want. And I realize. I realized that's a really tall order. And so I have to be somewhat satisfied. But like, if I had a theme song, it's like, you have to stay unsatisfied, right? We're now, we're going to Hamilton. We've gotten to Hamilton. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. We've got go. more Hamilton. So really you understand. Go, me. go. Um, yes. But that's it. So for me, I, when I'm tired, I always have this phrase is take rest. Don't quit. Mm. Quitting is a function of privilege. But it, but I do, right? I, it is like your options, but yes. anti No, I love it. I love it. White like privilege and white fragility 101. So but for me, it's also critically important as someone who's on the bipolar spectrum. Um, I can only help people when I'm well. And so when I am too tired, I do say no. I really believe that that's something about the long term, you know, sort of movement building for this is that those of us who are tired, like we need to take a nap and it's okay you know, it's really Black feminism that taught us that self-care and rest is resistance. And that was, you know, it came from that particular school of thought, but I think it's something that we can all gain some
0: wisdom from. Man, you just dropped so many juicy chicken nuggets. I just want some dipping sauce. (laughs) This is powerful. Yeah, but do you get ranch or barbecue? Okay, I'm a ranch person. I, I am not going to lie. I also will like a barbecue sauce here and there. I would take a side. Sometimes I make my own aioli. I'm not going to lie to you. I throw a, a mayo and a ketchup together, you know? I'm a hot sauce. That's what I was going to say. Okay, good. Well, and I also look, we put in some theme songs here. We're doing some musical theater interludes. This is all happening. But I will, not to take away from the seriousness of that answer, Wow, I, I had not planned on asking you that question, and obviously, I'm an improviser, so things happen. But I am very intrigued by that answer, and I think so many people listening on so many levels can take away a lot from that. So, thank you for sharing those the the real answer and the vulnerabilities that you shared personally. I, I, pre, I mean, that is that's how we learn, and that's where I want to go to next too, because. We say in improv, there are no mistakes, only gifts. It's one of the biggest rules of improvisational comedy. So I want to talk about through your lens, through your eyes, it could be something professional. It could be something that you've, and and you know, this is a group of leaders from all across corporate America, but it could be something that has changed your life drastically. What would you say is one of your biggest quote unquote gifts that you've encountered in your life and how that Lesson learned from those gifts has gotten you to where you are today.
1: Yeah. So I think that's, that's an easy question for me, which is that, um, I made that joke about it taking a lot of math to be me, but, but I really think that's it. I mean, I sit at the intersection, like all of my identities are liminal. So meaning like they're right at the boundary. And so I think there's, there's has been at points in my life a lot of interpersonal trauma, you know, asking like, who am I if I, Technically meet all of these definitions, but people are identity policing me. But the thing that those identities have given me is the incredibly beautiful gift of being able to walk in a lot of different pairs of shoes. Mm. All right? We got some stilettos. We have some clogs. We have, no, no. What I what I <laughs> do is, is is that you know, for example, at many times I experience the world as a white person would because of my skin tone, but also being Latina, being mixed race. Um, and being connected to both sides of that heritage, I've also experienced minoritization because of my racial and ethnic background. Um, same thing with sort of at points in my life being straight passing, but also being within the queer community. And so I think that that has given me um, the beautiful gift of being able to witness more people's stories and learn how over time to better communicate and connect with many, many different types of people. And I think that is the biggest gift because of all of the things you can do in the world. And this is taken from, um, there was an incredibly beautiful interview. I can't believe I'm talking about this on the podcast of Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper talking about <laughs> grief. It's a 20 minute YouTube video and it's like the best thing on the internet. Um, we'll but make, I watch we'll it a make. lot. And yes, and Stephen Colbert talks about the gift of suffering. And he talks about how when you suffer, you realize that all people suffer. And so through that suffering, we actually become less alone, because Mm -hmm. we're able to more fully see other people. And I think that especially in the moment that we're in, that is so precious, because we're all holding grief for the futures that didn't happen because of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, the racial justice pandemic, just the, the history that's now the context of history that's now being shown. And so For me, I guess I got a little bit away from your question rambling about this. No, go. Keep going. Go
0: where you're going. I love it.
1: I think there's that is that the, the challenges that I've had in forming an identity have allowed me to understand the suffering of a broader group of people than I believe that I would have otherwise, which means that I can see their humanity and which means that I can sort of unconditionally love more people and then try to build a world in which treats them that way. Um, So this is very metaphysical, but, but that's really it for me. Like you asked the motivation is the motivation is like, I just want more people to feel loved and valued. And I feel like there's material things I can do to make that happen a little better. And that's what I try to do.
0: I'm taking a deep breath. I'm breathing in. I feel like the world needs you. They need this. And I really do believe in the, if you don't believe in her work. Everybody listen up, right? That's the key is that, is totally. that I'm not really that I mean, slightly pinker haired than the average human, which is beautiful. I'm looking at it. I want them to know that you have beautiful hot pink hair. It's gorgeous. Continue. Keep going.
1: Really, I was, I was telling people that I was going for the gay animal tour. Okay. <laughs> that was really, really like what I was shooting for with this haircut. No, but I think that's it. I think the, the lesson is that the world needs each of us and needs each of the gifts we bring in. And so for me, the core of, of the DEI work is about that. It's about how do we create more space for more people to bring their brilliance and their gifts into the world? And if we've done that, then we've done a really good job.
0: That's it. That is 100% it. And I love that you, you're you able to empathize. Going back to what you said, the different shoes, right? This this imp, this math path is truly your identity because you really are Able, you're at this intersection, like you mentioned, and you're really able to help so many different communities. And then the communities that you're not a part of are seeing the work that you're doing, which is automatically spilling over into their community, right? Like I think that every single person listening today can take something away from what you just said. And that's really the world I think all of us want to live in is your world, Aubrey. And I more love, less hate, and more universal connection. And I th- you you alluded to this, that 2020 really was a year of grieving, right? For all of us, no matter who you are, you have a 2020 story. And I think that it actually put a lot of us, even though there was two pandemics, as you mentioned, there was the social justice pandemic and then the COVID-19 pandemic. It really set humanity at a baseline. We are all... At this state with the COVID pandemic is where I'm going, we all had to sit in our homes, we all had to reassess where we are, what we're doing. And if we couldn't look past where we wanted to go and say, hey, you know, we've had some, we've had things in our future that we are now having to look at and say we didn't get to do these things, right? We're all grieving that moment, but it was almost as if the world stopping made us all in some way, shape, or form for that second come together. And then through that, we realized we have so much healing to do on so many different levels on so many different angles socially. But I will say that connection, I feel like when COVID first happened prior to like this time last year, because we're recording this March 17th. So around this time last year is when we all were stuck at home. That connection, that feeling of I want I want everybody to feel like we can help each other that neighborly feel that's what I I want for everyone too is to feel like they have connectivity and love no matter who you are where you are what you do what you look like what you wear all the things no matter whose shoes you're walking in you know yeah
1: I mean and for me like well my stilettos miss me so much
0: me too I I haven't worn a stiletto in a year I'm gonna be real
1: I got so sad about basically not having anywhere to wear all of my cute fashion shoes that I made them the bookends on my bookshelf so at least I can like enjoy their beauty.
0: Snaps to that. Snaps to that. I, I need to do something because goodwill salvation army, you're getting a you're getting a dose of shoes that I have not put on my feet in a long time. Hey field of fam. Do your eyeballs hurt from staring at your screen? Do you walk away at the end of your work from home day with your arms out like Frankenstein, your eyeballs glazed over, and feel like you need to do a swift face plan onto your bed, which is also conveniently located next to your laptop? If this sounds like you, then stay tuned, my friend. We have something coming for you. Launching on March 29th for only two weeks, we'll be releasing our Zoom Fatigue Zoombie Toolkit. Now, this is a mini course for you. And ironically, it's not on Zoom. To teach you why you get those Zoomy feelings after being on one too many video calls, how to build boundaries within your schedule to minimize video conferences, and best practices when you have to present on video. So stay tuned for this to launch with early bird pricing on March 29th. It will only be available for two weeks, so make sure to snag yours before they quickly dissolve into the Zuma sphere. Okay, I want to turn into this idea of gifts, right? We're talking about gifts and as we see them in improv What are some, or let's not do some, what's one of the biggest gifts, hashtag fails, that you've seen organizations make when it comes to creating a a space for psychological safety and for inclusion? Can I refer to something, too, that I saw you wrote, which I thought was beautiful? You wrote a a blog um, about best for diversity lists actively hindering progress. Stop submitting to them. So I read this blog and I thought, wow, she gets it. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that through that lens?
1: Yeah. So the biggest mistake that companies make is poorly resourcing and supporting their chief diversity officers. Like number one, like whatever budget you give them, triple it and it might start to be the right amount. But in terms of the best for diversity list, I think So often DNI becomes this like marketing exercise as opposed to something that's like pushing towards structural change. And and the fact is like showing up on a best for diversity list is like so I'm originally an international relations scholar and so I would call it what we call an arms race. But basically it's like well you know this big company is on that list and so I have to be on that list. But the thing about it is they're mostly bullshit. Not all of them. There are some that aren't. But the fact is, these are like surveys that are gamed. It's like, well, you have to give a yes, because otherwise you don't end on this list. And then you'll continue to be one of the only underrepresented people in marketing. And then, and so it's this thing where it's not actually measuring the truth. It's measuring who can pay to be on the list and who can coerce their employees to give the most positive scores. And I think it comes back to, for me, just like, I don't dislike all lists. Um, as you saw, I, I laid out, um, I think like the human uh, HRC uh, CEI, which looks at LGBT inclusion, is an example of a list that I think is structured and built in a way that really, really does create change. And the insight that HRC CEI had was that the first year that they did it, the standards were actually really low to get like 100%. But they also aren't ranking companies against each other like we don't want inclusion to be a scarce resource and by ranking companies that's what you're doing you're saying oh we want you know i don't know salesforce you know does a lot of work in this area so to be number 1 but like we don't want salesforce to win we want everyone to win of salesforce being a company that also wins and so i think there's that is it can't be a competitive thing because again if we're if we're in competition mode about diversity we're actually in white supremacy mode, and we want to be in collaboration mode, which is anti-racist mode. So there's that piece. But then the other thing is that the CEI, every year, it has gotten harder to maintain your 100. And so I believe the Corporate Equality Index played a huge role in normalizing trans-inclusive healthcare at work, for example. And so I think there are... And that if you read the blog, you'll see I am very much a social scientist. I don't say something usually is either terrible or good, except with a headline because it makes people click. But <laughs> we really trying to get people to see, answer the question not, is something good or bad? But under what conditions is it effective for creating equity? And under what conditions is it ineffective for creating greater equity? That's the, the math path question that you want to ask is not yes or no, but when and how.
0: Mm. Mm, all right. We're going to link to the blog and our show notes too. So our failed at fam can read it because it's so fascinating and you give a really great answer right there too. But if you want more details, we're going to link to that because I just found that so intriguing and I clicked. Okay. I was clicking. I said, yep, let me click. And
1: people can find my, my power math blog at ariblanch.com too, which has a lot of my content
0: on it. Okay. And we're going to link to it in this show as well. I also read a blog, okay, from you that you read 110 books in 2019 as an attempt to stay off social media. And I looked at this list. They were so good. But if you could recommend one of these books to the Failed at family, what would it be? And I do know you only hit 108. So I'm going to preface that, but that's so very impressive. What would be your number one?
1: Well, I have to say I got 120 in 2020. So I I beat myself in 2020. But if I had to pick one book that I think everyone should read, it's The Memo by Minda Hartz. Okay. And why is that? She's an incredible leader, but she basically wrote the business book that every woman of color needs that no one wrote until she got there. And so it's raw, it's honest, it's helpful. And she is just someone who... She's the kind of leader that I always like, aspire to be more like. She's gracious. She's generous with her time. She's so focused on telling her truth and on. She has a couple new books coming out too. I don't even know what they're called, but you should definitely pre-order those too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's just someone that I look up to so much.
0: I love it.
1: And she wrote the book that I wish that I had had, and I know so many other women of color wish they would had sooner. And so we are so lucky. She's the exact thing i'm talking about when i say like people bring their brilliance into the world um okay i'll stop i'll stop just like talking about why she's amazing now but but really keep going no the memo by of hearts is is a game-changing book and so i would suggest that everybody read it if you say you care about inclusion um go listen to what it's like for black women in the workplace and then go change it mm.
0: mm. We're going to link to, again, all of that in the show notes, too. I, I was very curious about that when I read your blog. You have to put a new blog up about your 2020 books, okay? Yes, I will. We need to see those. We need to see those.
1: Well, so you can actually go to my Goodreads. Uh, my Goodreads, I actually track all the books that I read per year. So if you go on my Goodreads, you'll see all my 2020 books.
0: Nice. Okay. We'll link to that too. It was fascinating. We've read quite a few of the same books. I I saw you were a Brene Brown fan, big fan, big fan. I love Brene Brown. I think she's incredibly helpful because so much of DEI work is dealing with
1: trauma and shame and all these other things at work. And so I think Brene Brown has helped to normalize a discussion that was critically important.
0: I agree. I agree. And I think a lot of her, the empathy that the Math Path, Empath, all of these things. I think if you haven't read a Brene Brown book as well, I think you could really relate to some of these things of courage, shame, vulnerability, all these things that we talk about here on the podcast. So check those out and we will link to your Goodreads 2020 as well. So people can take that, take note. So let me ask you this, what do you predict the future of of work will look like post-2021? What do you think that looks like? You know, I have an ambition that work is more human. I also think we'll, we'll have a
1: lot more hybrid working. So we'll better, I guess, integrate the office. I think offices will be collaboration spaces, I think. But I do think that work will be more humane, or at least I hope that it will. Because I think what we've seen is that the limits of American obsessions with productivity are perhaps anti-caring for the human organism, generally speaking. Mm-hmm that's what I hope is I hope that we're more humane. I mean, as long as we keep like my coworkers who bring their kids and like their dogs on calls, like I'm like, thank you for blessing my day with this perfect tiny little human. It's way more interesting than whatever the hell we were planning to talk about. But so I think there's more of that where people I hope can be more themselves, they can be more authentic, what companies are starting to understand and value, especially those in like the knowledge work sector, that like, our brains only work best when we're cared for all around. And so companies stop making commitments to build belonging and to build equity, but actually instead make investments, right? Mm-hmm. Like if your commitment doesn't come with an investment in your internal culture, not just in your tax write-offs, then it's probably not yet aligned to where it needs to, to for you to even consider your company something that was invited to the future of work. Wow. Okay. Yeah, straight up. Like, really simply, if you're spending more on beer than you are on DEI, what you're saying is my company values Budweiser more than black people. And like, I wish you would stop saying diversity is a priority while paying for the beer. Like, at least be honest about where you are and where you're making your investments because I care without I invest or I do is actually just corporate gaslighting. Yeah. Okay. That's just real. It's so real. But there are options I'm gonna call out. I work at Culture Amp. I was a customer before I was a client, but you know we spend so much time all day helping customers with their DEI journeys, and that's not always the right solution. But the point is, you should be paying for and looking for and valuing solutions to this, not just PR.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Okay. I feel like we just got 700 sound bites right there. It's so true. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not even going to dive into that because I just want people to sit with that for a moment. And I want to highlight if you're spending more on beer than you are on DEI, that's where your values are. I mean, that's just, yes. And also ping pong tables, which are they even going to be a thing when you go to your uh, hybrid office? I mean, Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I, I feel neutral about ping pong tables. Like
1: I don't want to interact with it, but if it works for you, that's fine. But again, I go back to, um, and it's, it's, Emily Best, who's the CEO of Seed&Spark, which is a company that I'm lucky enough to advise, she always says budgets are moral documents. Mm. And that, to me, is a lesson that I think we can all take.
0: I literally just, I, I know this is like a cliche thing podcast so say, like, I just got chills, but I swear to you, I just got a chill. That is so true. That is so true. Guess who's going back to her budget tomorrow? This Everybody girl. Listening, everyone's going to go look at their budget and they're going
1: to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I hadn't thought about it that way before. I'm not going to sit here in shame because shame is I am a mistake and you are never a mistake, but you may have made one. So maybe that little bit of guilt you're feeling, that little bit of discomfort people listening are feeling, instead of taking that and getting defensive, which is an option available to you, saying, you know what, maybe I just learned something. And now to quote uh, Maya Angelou, you know, now you know better, so do better. I'm... I, I didn't quite get that quote right, but it was close enough. It was there. Maybe it's something you hadn't considered before and that's okay. Consider it now.
0: Mm, fire, fire. Okay. This is probably one of the best conversations on DEI. I mean, we have had some great guests on this show, so I'm not discounting, but I have never heard your budget is a moral compass. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's it's Emily Best. Your budget's a moral document. <sighs> Oh, 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 oh. Okay, so let me ask you this, Aubrey. What would you do even if you knew you might fail? Oh, I mean, my whole job. <laughs> You're doing it.
1: <laughs> right, like I feel like uh, like I set myself up to fail every day because I'm in a space where I constantly have to be learning and growing. I don't know. I mean, I've like called out, See, you know, there've been times in my career where I've called out my CEO publicly about DEI. Um, I think there's, I, I like to think that my active bravery and like being a human out loud is pretty big. And that's something I hope that I can always create space for anyone else, um, anyone else for this. And so, yeah, like, what can I do my job, be an authentic person who's dedicated to my own healing? Like, I could totally fail at that. But the point is, when I face plant, I'm just going to be wiser, a little bit older, a little more dinged up. But once that stuff heals, that's where the power and the strength comes in. So for me, it's about daring to believe in a world in which people who are currently marginalized are seen as inherently valuable and beautiful, and then trying to be as authentic of a person as I can and live aligned to my values. Like, that shit sounds risky as hell, but also... I think all of the other options sound horrifying. Mm. 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 Okay. See, this is I have a good option, which is integrity and authenticity. Yes. Um, or I have a bad option, which is all the other ones.
0: Yes. 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 Okay. I love that answer. I I truly wish that we could all live in this vision together. If this if this vision was unified, we would have maybe your job would still exist, but maybe it wouldn't, you know? So if we could all unify, we would still, we would be in a different place. And I really love the way that you're thinking about the future. I think that a lot of people listening gained some insight today, myself included. I'm truly the budget piece is, I, I, I mean, it is absolutely correct. We look at budgets all day, every day, right? But have you decided exactly with those dollars, your moral compass? Have you I'm just, I'm floored by some of these answers. And I think a lot of people listening are going to have so much to walk away with today. I'm going to end with something that's a little fun, a little more lighthearted, because this is called the Fail Yeah, Lightning Round, Aubrey, and you didn't know this was coming. So I'm excited! it's a little improv, a little thinking quickly on your feet. However, super easy. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you have to respond as fast as you can with only one word answers. One word. One word. So know that you cannot fail. But if you say more than one word, I'm going to do this really awkward. Fail, yeah. Okay. So you can only say one word at a time. But if you say more than one, I give you a fail, yeah. Are you ready, Aubrey? I'm ready. You're ready for the fail, yeah, lightning round. Here we go. Okay, one word to describe your early career. Accident. Oh, okay. One word to describe where you're currently at in your career. Dream. One word to describe your future self. Boss. Oh, okay. One word to describe your favorite boss. Didier. Okay, one word to describe your least favorite boss. liar. one word to describe your collaboration style friendly one word to describe your work from home fashion style sweats (laughs) and one word to describe this interview joyful ah i feel so too oh my god you nailed it you didn't fail it well, Nailed it. It. <laughs> That was <is> fun
1: and <laughs> great. And also, by the way, I just want to note that I really wanted to say sweatpants, but I wasn't sure if it was one or two words. <laughs> I
0: felt you when you said sweats. I knew exactly what you meant. If you would have said joggers, I would have said great. Honestly, I, I n- really want to wrap my Costco sweats. Like that's oh. really the peak work from home fashion.
1: I think Costco has these great feel of sweats. So anyway there's just an okay tip for anyone
0: on the line S- send a link to me and we'll post it in the show notes to yeah. these fila sweats okay you're an affiliate now you're you're like an influencer okay oh my god all right i, I don't think i've ever felt so self-actualized as when i've become a sweatpants influencer so <laughs> really, you've made my whole week thank you <laughs> You have so many titles now, sweatpants, influencer, bath path. There's, we're just adding to your resume. There's, this is what the show is for. So, okay. Let me ask you this. Tell or field that fam, where they can find you on all the things. They can find me. So if you can find me at a D Blanche on just about every platform,
1: because I don't know, I have the same handle. And then, um, definitely you can get in touch with me, um, at aubreyblanche.com. You can get, sign up to get my blog in your inbox. Um, and lots of things like that. But my digital soapbox is mostly on Twitter. Mm,
0: and it's so good. All right. Well, I want to just thank you so much, Aubrey, for coming on the show today. Thank
1: you for having me, Erin. I'm grateful to have been here. This was so much fun. Uh,
0: well, no, this was a tr- complete treat on our end. And the Failed it family, I know, is going to be blowing me up, saying they got so many great nuggets of wisdom from you. Thank you for the work you do, the light that you put out in the world. Thank you for sharing your gifts quote unquote, here with us today. And to my Failed It family, fail, yeah, fail, yeah. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Failed It. I'm so happy you're along for the ride. And if you enjoyed today's show, head on over to iTunes to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'll see you next week, but wanna leave you with this thought. What will you fail at today and how will that help your future successful self? think about it. I'm proud of you and you are totally failing it. See you next time.